This morning, our scripture uh, that Pastor Matt will be um, going over is from Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 50. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what that meant, what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing, arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes, welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does miracles in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better better for them if a large milestone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes And be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves, and be at peace peace with each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, in a moment... uh, Either Rob or Jennifer are going to pass out to you a, a ribbon. If you're in the room, you need to take a ribbon. Uh, but as these are being passed out, I just want to ask a question. You guys start thinking. Uh, you can whisper to your neighbor and answer if you have one. Uh, how, do you, how do you define what it means to be a Christian? How do you define what it means to be a Christian? Or maybe a follow-up question. How should Christians act? What should Christians be like? I think there's a lot of confusion in the world today on what it means to be a Christian. Uh, For example, I recently heard a woman tell me she was either a Buddhist Christian or a Christian Buddhist. Uh, Seeing that those two particular religious streams have different views of God, salvation, and the afterlife, it just maybe displays the confusion about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, sometimes being a Christian has, some people think it has to do with your, the place of your birth, or whether you go to a building with a, a cross on the outside or not. In this little tour that Jesus is on with his disciples, he is going to teach 
Christians what it means to be Christian. Now, those of you who are a little Bible savvy know that the term Christian isn't in vogue yet in this time with the disciples. But these disciples, these have been followers of Jesus for about to about two years at this point. They have professed Jesus as Messiah, Messiah meaning Savior, King. So they're following a person they believe to be the Savior King. But in the series here, we're going to have four instructions from the Messiah King Jesus on what it means to actually follow Messiah King Jesus. Really, if you want to get a good definition of what it means to be a Christian, we should probably ask Jesus. And so though I ask you to do your definition of what it means to be a Christian, I would encourage us to let Jesus define what it means to be a Christian. Let's pray. Father, would you speak uh, from your word? Uh, thank you that you uh, had Mark put these stories together so that we could understand who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Help us, we pray, whether we're a seeker trying to understand Christianity, uh, whether we're new to the faith and just beginning the journey, or whether we've been at this so long while and need to have fresh ears to walk in a fresh way. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I think there's four instructions leading to one overarching principle. Instruction number one on what it means to be a Christian. We must grasp Jesus' mission. Notice how this section begins. It says that they had left that place, so they've left one geographic area, and they are now passing through Galilee. It says, Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. So notice this text is saying, this is, this is special instruction for these key early leaders, these key disciples, later to be apostles. And, and, and why? Because they're eventually going to teach the rest of us about what it means to be a follower of Messiah Jesus. So this is, this is special instruction time, special tour time. And Jesus says to them on the front end of this tour, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Verse 32. But they did, an under, they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. I really believe this is the key to all the other instructions. You have to get instruction number one, that we have to grasp the purpose of Jesus' mission, and we already see the disciples don't get it. This could be a problem. It could be why they're going to have trouble with the next three instructions. If you get the purpose of Jesus' mission wrong, it's going to be tough to know how to follow him. It'll be impossible to be a Christian. It'll be impossible to live Christianly. And Jesus says all sorts of things in his ministry, but the repeated refrain over and over again, like here, is he came to die. This is why he came, to be rejected, to be crucified, to be buried, and three days later, rise again. This is the central message of the mission of Jesus, and this is instruction number one that we have to get. It's the central principle. It's the cardinal doctrine of Christianity that Jesus came to die for sinners. If you turn in your Bibles to the right a little bit, the Apostle Paul, at the end of the, the, the book of Galatians, after he's written this wonderful treatise on what is the gospel, what is the good news, what does it mean to walk with God, 
toward the very, very end, he says in Galatians 6.14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. His, his boast, his ultimate confidence is that Jesus died for him. Jesus' death was for human sin. The cross doesn't display human valuableness, but human wickedness. The cross reveals God's deep love to save undeserving sinners. Instruction number one, grasp Jesus' mission. Now, I do not know the state of anyone's souls, including Kanye West. But at least by lips, he gets instruction number one. Kanye West recently said, this was January 19th, 2020, I believe Jesus died for my sins. There was a time when the devil had me. Do you know the good news? Jesus can save a wretch like me, unquote. That's pretty good in grasping instruction number one. The way that Christians profess grasping that truth is they're baptized. And then they're saying the, the cardinal doctrine of Jesus' death and resurrection, we identify that by being baptized. We are buried with Christ in water and we are resurrected by coming out and living a new life. So if you've been baptized, remember your baptism. That that was you physically choosing to identify with Christ, saying his mission saved me. If you haven't been baptized, come forward and say, I want to be identified. I want to express that I grasp Jesus' mission and that I put my trust in him myself. Instruction number one, grasp Jesus' mission. Instruction number two, Follow Jesus' pattern. Follow Jesus' pattern. They came to Capernaum, verse 33. So this tour is continuing. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Muhammad Ali once said, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as me. Verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child whom he placed among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. They're on this tour to learn about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and the disciples are having a spitting contest, or a I am the greatest contest. You got Andrew over here saying, you know why I'm so great? Because I'm the one who brought the, the, the bread and the fish, and we fed thousands. And Peter's like, oh, no, no, I am the greatest. You remember that whole walking on water thing while you guys were in the boat? John slips in, oh, I've exercised 13 demons to your four, Bartholomew. 
So while they're figuring out who the greatest is, Jesus literally takes a low position. He sits down. And he takes into his arms a child small enough for him to hold, so five, six years or younger. And he says, you want to know about greatness? It's being last. It's welcoming the vulnerable. It's using your power and position to protect the vulnerable, to receive them, to care for them. That's great. And that's my pattern. So if you want to follow Jesus, you follow his pattern of of humility. The great Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who served 1902 to 1932 in the Supreme Court, once said, humility is the first of all virtues for other people. I mean, everybody believes humility is awesome. We hate pride in other people. They're jerks. And yet humility is so hard. What I want you to know is Jesus is still calling us to it. I read a modern writer named Daniel Bob who said this, the truth is that no one is naturally humble. Becoming humble is an arduous process. I just don't want us to, to lose that, brothers and sisters. Like, if you, especially those who have believed on the Son of Jesus, now the invitation for us is to become like the Son. To love to reflect the humility of Jesus. To take on his, his pattern. I know that we, you know, in our sin, in our, we profess Christ and we go into the baptismal waters to profess this new nature and come out of the waters alive. But it's been said that the old Adam is a good swimmer. So though we wanted it to drown in the waters of baptism, it keeps coming up. And yet the, we're called to follow this pattern and to not give up. 288 years ago, George Washington was born. That's why we're in President's Day was celebrated recently. You know what I love about that man? And I don't even know where he stood with Jesus at all. During the Revolutionary War, they tried to let him be a military dictator, and he said no. After the success of the battles, they tried to make him king, and he said no. I don't know how I would have done if I would have been offered a military dictatorship or the king of a brand new country. But those who follow Jesus' pattern will go low. They'll go low. One thing I just want you to know as a pastor, even just preparing for this sermon, I, was, I had a moment of deep gratitude as I was kind of even meditating on this sec, second instruction of follow Jesus' pattern is that I'm surrounded by a sea of servants, and I love that about you. Taking people to one another's appointments, visiting one another in the hospitals, bringing meals. Um, and so if you're needing encouragement to follow Jesus' pattern, by God's grace, there are some good examples to follow here. And so in many ways, it's just kind of encourage you to press on. But also maybe to encourage you this week just to ask the question, how could you use your own power and position to serve the vulnerable, to welcome the little ones, and to care for them? I got convicted at the end of last year, sometime around November, that I realized that every time I cut dessert, I always gave myself the biggest piece. Because I'm bigger. 
and I burn more calories. But it was just a subtle rebuke from God. Is that how you use your position of dad to get more for you? So dads, what does it look like to take your high, powerful position to build into your children and your wife? If you're a boss, what does it look like to build into your employees? If you're a middle-class person of Caucasian skin color, how do you use your power and position and privilege to meet the needs of the most vulnerable? Brothers and sisters, we're encouraged to follow Jesus' pattern. We believe in the Son of God. We grasp his mission. And then we want to become like the Son of God. We want to follow his pattern. Third instruction. Let others be the star. Let others be the star. Teacher, said John, verse 38, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. Instruction number three, let others on team Jesus be the star. Notice that in John's heart, there's this spirit of rivalry and suspicion. Someone's out there doing things in Jesus' name, and it's not us. It's not one of the 12. And he's mad. In fact, he tells him to hush up. John says, not one of us, and Jesus says, don't get in that person's way. They're doing things in my name. Those who do things in my name will receive a reward. They're on the same team. And so I think moving forward for us is we want, let others, we want to let others on Team Jesus be the star. We want other churches to be great and more famous than ours. That's a good thing. Maybe more, we want other denominations to be famous, more famous than ours. It's okay. Being the best or winning at all costs or kind of this culture of competition that we live in, it's deadly. And Jesus says, let others be the star. One of the most humbling expressions is in uh, John chapter 3, verse 30, when John the Baptist said, he, Christ, must become greater. I must become less. There's this joy in giving stardom to Jesus a lot of times, if you, you know, if you got a coach trying to get the kids to play like a team, he says, you know, the team on the front is more important than your name on the back. Yeah. This is Team Jesus. It's not about competition. It's not about winning. Winning is dangerous. The only wedding card I still remember came from my Aunt Paula, married to a Navy officer, career officer, 40-plus years. Her line was, if you win... In argument, in marriage, you both lose. There's something to be that when there is competition among those of part of Team Jesus, we all lose. We all lose. And so we need to let other people be the star. We need to, to, to 
encourage and celebrate when other churches grow. In the uh, late 18th century, there were kind of two, quote-unquote, celebrity pastors. One was a man named John Wesley, who was doing these open-air preaching, and many people were coming to Christ, and great revivals. Then there was another man, actually my hero, his name is Charles Simeon, who was the longtime pastor of Trinity Church in Cambridge. And they had a little dialogue, and it went a little bit like this. Sir, Charles Simeon began, I understand that you, Wesley, are called an Arminian, and I have been sometimes called a Calvinist, and therefore I suppose we are to draw daggers. But before I consent to begin the combat, with your permission, I will ask you a few questions, not from impertinent curiosity, but for real instruction. Simeon continues, pray, sir, do you feel yourself a depraved creature? so depraved that you would never have thought of turning unto God if God had not first put it into your heart? Yes, replied Wesley, I do indeed. And do you utterly despair of recommending yourself to God by anything that you can do and look for salvation solely through the blood and righteousness of Christ? Yes, solely through Christ, says Wesley. But sir, Supposing you were first saved by Christ, are you not somehow or other to save yourself afterwards by your own works? No, I must be saved by Christ from first to last. Allowing then that you were first turned by the grace of God, are you not in some way or other to keep yourself by your own power? No, says Wesley. What then are you to be upheld every hour and every moment by God as much as an infant in its mother's arms? Yes altogether. Finally, Simeon asks, and is all your hope in the grace and mercy of God to preserve you unto his heavenly kingdom? Yes, I have no hope but in him. Simeon concludes by saying, then, sir, with your leave, I will put my dagger, put up my dagger again, for this is all my Calvinism. This is my election, my justification by faith, my final perseverance. It is in substance all that I hold, and as I hold it, and therefore, if you please, Instead of searching out terms and phrases to be a ground of contention between us, we will cordially unite in those things wherein we agree. I'd like to bring back that expression. Let's cordially unite with all those who name Christ and do ministry in his name. And even more so, let others be the star on Team Jesus. Instruction number four. This one's loaded. I'll read it. It says, If anyone causes one of the least of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. So instruction number one, grasp Jesus' mission. Instruction number two, follow Jesus' pattern. Instruction number three, let others on Team Jesus be the star. Instruction number four, 
Live sacrificially because souls are on the line. Live sacrificially because souls are on the line. And Jesus talks about two souls, or two sets of souls. He speaks of little ones again, and he speaks of your soul. He begins by saying, if anyone causes one of the least of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. So what Jesus is trying to help his disciples to, to image this, to visible, you know, have a, a visual of what's going on here. He's saying, if there is something in your life that causes someone in the body of Christ, a vulnerable soul, to stumble, fall away from the Lord, fall away from church, turn to hate God, if there's something you do that would cause another to do that, it'd be better if you were drowned deep into the depths. It's quite an image. So the question we ask then is, what would it look like for me to live sacrificially, extremely concerned about the soul of others so that nothing I could do would ever compromise their faith? What am I willing to stop doing what am I willing to give up so that someone else doesn't stumble? On one occasion, Paul says, you know, if, I'm, if me eating meat causes someone to stumble, he says, I'm just never going to eat meat again. I don't think he's being hyperbolic, by the way, when he says that. I think he's dead serious. Is there something, he was looking at his soul, and he was looking at the souls of people he was trying to minister to, and he says, if there's something I would do that would cause just a single person to wander away, would I cut that out of my life? We often want to know what, what it takes for me to grow spiritually. It's a good question. Don't neglect that one. But Jesus is pushing the envelope and saying, if you're a follower of mine, you're not just concerned about your own soul walking with God. You're concerned about the souls of those around you. That you're willing to live sacrificially for them. The image in 1 Corinthians 12, when uh, Paul is talking about what is, a, what is a church supposed to be like? It's supposed to be like a body, interconnected. Right? In, in your natural body, uh, when you like stub your toe, and you're hopping around crying, you don't say, but my ear feels fine. No, your whole body is consumed with the pain in your toe. And he says, that's the image, that's how we should feel about the church. That we don't hear that someone's suffering and go, well, at least it's not me. Sucks to be them, but my ear, my life, it feels fine. And, and so Paul says, no, 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 we should grieve with those who are grieving. We should feel with their feelings, and we should rejoice in their joys. But the movement is for me to live sacrificially because souls are on the line, other souls, vulnerable souls, needy people. But then he presses, right? Now he's going after your soul. Verse 43, he starts talking about, now, if there's anything in your life, whether it's as intimate as your hand or your eye or anything, if, if something we're doing that is, is leading us to sin and to stumble and sin against the living God, we should be willing to cut that off for the sake of our own soul. 
I talk to a variety of men most years about pornography. And I often have to ask the question, can we get you a flip phone? Just for a season. And they're shocked by that request. But do we love God and purity in our marriages enough to not be able to check our email? <laughs> like, what are we losing? Right? Or, you know, I've, I'll flip to the other side. I know several marriages where, stereotypically, a woman's connection to Facebook is causing issues in their marriage. And so you're like, maybe you get rid of that thing. Seems like it might be a good idea. I just, and I'm just giving examples. You've got to press your own heart. What is it that is causing you to stumble that you need to cut off? What are you doing that's causing others to stumble? Cut it out. As Jesus says, hell is on the line. And I know modern people, we have a tough time sometimes with the concept of hell. It seems unfair. But Jesus believes hell is the appropriate place for those who have besmirched God's name. Humans think hell is over the top and unfitting. Jesus thinks God's glory is over the top. And that hell is fitting for those who dishonor his name. And notice the context especially for those who have taken his name. This is a conversation with the disciples, those who have professed to follow him. And he's talking about hell to professing followers. That should sober us. Instead, or in response, we gladly sacrifice anything that would cause my soul to stumble or another to stumble, and I want to be like salt. And I was just reflecting a little bit on salt, right? Salt is a life-saving substance, especially in the ancient world. You know, but for salt to be effective, it must give itself entirely over. When the salt goes in the soup, you don't see it anymore. It's a very sacrificial spice. And Jesus said, be salty. Live sacrificially. Pursue peace at great cost. Don't let a vulnerable one be impacted by you. Live sacrificially because souls are on the line. Four instructions. Grasp Jesus' mission. Follow Jesus' pattern. Let others on Team Jesus be the star. And instruction four, live sacrificially because souls are on the line. One overarching principle. Let's live for last place. Hence your ribbon. Have any of you ever gotten a beautiful last place ribbon? This, by the way, I was so excited that these actually existed. <laughs> I came up with this idea a couple weeks ago, and I started, and it's, they exist. Ribbons for last place. Would we hang these things in our homes, in our cubicles? Better yet, live it. Go back to that text right there in verse 35. Sitting down. I love this. Literally, Jesus takes the low place. Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. I want to take last place. 
Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord God require of us? What does he want? Mercy, justice, and to walk humbly with our God. God God is inviting us to last place living. Last place. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Your attitude should be that of the same as Jesus Christ who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to cling to or hold on to. But he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a man, becoming like us, becoming so obedient to God, he lead him to death, even death on a cross. Jesus got last place. Here's the good news, though. He didn't stay in last place. By choosing to pursue last place, you are ensuring for yourself life everlasting. This is the indestructible life. This is the life that Jesus modeled. This is the life that Jesus gave up. And now he calls us, follow this pattern. Those who die with Christ will rise with Christ. Everything you give, heaven will repay you in spades. You can't outgive God. No matter how hard you try to get to the end of the line, and you can try, the, 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 the reverse in the kingdom to come will be so great. And this is one thing I want you to know about just thinking about being in last place and just about humility. Humility is not about being passive. Humility is not being insecure. Humility is not about having a low self-esteem. It's the reason why you can pursue last place is because you are secure in Christ. The reason why you can aggressively pursue being last is because in due time, God will make all of your sacrifices worth it. There's no need to be a low self-esteem. Brothers and sisters, if you trust in Christ, you are a son and daughter of the king. And as a member of that kingdom, we don't care about this kingdom. And you please the father of the kingdom that never ends by seeking last place. So as we go, let's grasp Jesus' mission. Let's follow Jesus' pattern. Let's let others be the star and team Jesus. Let's live sacrificially because souls are on the line. Let me pray. Father, thanks for this, the chance to be instructed by Jesus, and I pray that we'd lean into these teachings. There's, we could spend much more time this week on our own just looking at this text and meditating on their meaning. Pray that people would do so, but just pr- thank you for the glance that we've had this morning about uh, this different kind of king who has a different kind of kingdom, and the citizens of that kingdom will live so differently than the kingdom of this world. But we follow the king who did not stay dead, we follow the king who triumphed over death. We, we see the king who, was, who chose to be low and the father raised him to the highest place that at the name of every Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess he is Lord. And so we worship you, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now let us live like you in a way that would honor you, choosing to be last in Christ's name. Amen.